less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, uh, it's it's a good week to have a guest on. It's been a while, right? It has been. Yeah, people might be getting a little tired of listening to us. <laughs> How did you find this guest, Martin? How did I find Mike, this guest? Yeah. You know, how did I? Someone you know, told I you about it better with some marketing material uh, that he put out. I, okay. Somebody okay. sent me, oh, I do know, a cabinet manufacturer in Minnesota, whom I've worked with in the past and talked to frequently, sent me a link to a video our guest did. We haven't introduced him yet. And I watched it and it was talked about paying for performance. And my guy said, I want to do this. Help me get it done. And so I started looking into, uh, bought our guest book, read it, um, and I thought, man, we've got to talk to this guy. This is of universal interest to really anybody, but especially contractors and people who pay hourly workers, I think is one of the uh, key things, maybe not the only way to do it. So anyway, I reached out and, uh, wow, didn't realize uh, everything we were getting when we reached out pretty remarkable. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mike, welcome on to the cash flow contractor. Uh, you have quite the setup of your YouTube channel. I got to check out your own podcast. Um, so you're familiar with this. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on Martin and Khalil. I really appreciate it. And thanks for what you're doing uh, for all the contractors out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Mike, uh, before we're going to talk about pay for performance, uh, I know Martin's got a lot of questions around that, but I just want to get a little bit of, you know, your background, who you are and really why landscaping, how did you get into it? Yeah. So I started, I started mowing lawns when I was really young. I was 11 years old and nice. I did that to kind of pay my way through college. So my parents didn't have a whole lot of money. So I kind of figured, Hey, uh, if I was going to get out of this, you know, being poor thing, I'm going to have to go go to college. So uh, my goal was to become a surgeon. And so obviously there's a lot of school involved there. So I wanted to get a jump start on it. So I actually started college when I was 13 years old. I was pretty young. Wow. Uh, whoa, to start college. whoa, whoa. That's crazy. So you graduated yeah, high school when you were 13 or 12 or 13? Actually, the first two years of my college is when I finished 11 and 12. So you can go to community college without a high school degree. So what I did is I took my first two years of and took my associate's degree while I was finishing up grade 11 and 12. <laughs> so technically, I, I, I graduated when I was uh, uh, 15. Okay, that's wow. awesome. Wow. Re really cool. Okay, so sorry, I cut you off there. Go ahead. No, you're good. So yeah, I basically used mowing and lawn care as a way to kind of pay my way through college and uh, be able to get through my undergrad. And I was fully anticipating to go to medical school. I was going to go to LSU and get my MD and went over to Africa for six weeks and volunteered a bunch in their hospitals and their orphanages there. It was a great experience. I did all sorts of surgeries. Like it was just nuts. All the stuff that I was doing there that I would never be able to do here. Uh, but then when I came back and started shadowing doctors and really trying to figure out what specialty exactly I wanted to do inside surgery, I just determined, hey, this is not going to be for me. I can't do the same procedure for the next 40 years and you know, spend the next 10 years in college racking up half a million dollars in debt. So I just figured, you know what, I'm going to take this thing I'm doing on the side, which is the lawn care, and just scale it up. So that's when I started Augusta Lawn Care because up until that time, I had been working with my brother under Andy's lawn care, and we were just kind of done it part-time. So uh, that was uh, when I was 18 years old, uh, and I decided to drop out of medical school, and instead I got my uh, master's in business administration at night while I kind of started uh, Augusta Lawn Care 18 years old. 
That's awesome. You know, I have to say in passing here that five of the most far and away, the most successful business owners uh, I know, and we're talking in the hundreds of millions of dollars of net worth and one of them more than that, all started mowing lawns. So there's something out there. If there are young people listening, uh, something there, the grass. there must be a lot of good lessons in mowing <laughs> lawns. I think it's one of those things and any kind of sort of contractor style job, especially the ones that are a little bit lower barrier entry when it comes to skill like mowing uh, is a great way to get your foot in the door with business. It's a great way to get your kind of sharpen your skills of marketing, hiring and management. The, the stuff that is universally business principles that can be learned and, and taught at a relatively low barrier to entry. Right. I think that's a really good point. And things like sometimes customers don't pay you and customers have different personalities. And, and then you started hiring people. Yeah, just all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, we're going to get into pay for performance. And you were talking about employees at that point. What, who was your first employee? How did you hire them? At what point was that when you got started? Yeah, it was actually one of my friends from church uh, that started full time. And I think like most uh, first employees, you either know them or you trust them to some extent already. And he was a, just a killer of a worker. Uh, and as the business grew, unfortunately he had to leave, uh, mostly due to the fact that like, as, as the company grows and the owner stops being a worker and you start working on the business, you're not really there as much. A lot of times you can lose those first couple employees because they're used to seeing you out there working with them. They're used to like yeah. the buddy kind of mentality. And that's what it was at first. I you know I had up to like three or four people that I kind of knew and I hired those people first and all of those people eventually have, have left the company. Um, uh, mostly just due to the fact that it changes, the culture changes, no longer am I there. Um, there's other managers involved. And so, uh, it's just, you know, as time goes on, I think there's that, there's that cultural change, but at first it was just someone that I knew from church. Gotcha. Interesting. And was, was that employee employee paid for performance? Or was it an hour? Not at the day? time. No, nope. no. The first several years uh, of Augusta Lawn Care, uh, we didn't do any P for P or pay for performance. Uh, during those years, I was wandering in the wilderness of uh, <laughs> hourly wages and asking people asking for, uh, you know, asking for raises all the time. And then right. you give money to someone because they need it, or they're going through a family hardship. So you give them more money. Like it was never based upon performance. Was never, and I knew very well that there were people in the business that were earning the company more money but making less per hour simply because they were new. Right. And, and I didn't feel like that was fair. And I, I always wanted to have some way to pay people based upon how much money they're making in the business. And so yeah. I always, my, my kind of apprehension of doing P4P was like, it's going to hurt my culture because everyone's going to be out trying to, you know, beat everyone else. And then secondarily, I thought that the poor quality of work would end up happening because people are trying to rush everything. And so uh, those were some, some of my, my fears. And as well as like, well, is it going to take longer to calculate P4P than it is? the time saved, right? If I have every single day, I'm tracking every little thing and I have to go back yeah. and spend an hour, like it's not worth it. So uh, those are some of my apprehensions. Uh, but in those first five years of Augusta Lawn Care, you know, we struggled from a profitability standpoint uh, a lot. And, uh, you know, now you know, that same, that same location, that that's our very first location, obviously, now we have franchises, but um, you know, that first location now I'm there less than an hour a week and it pumps out, you know, more profits and, and distributions than I did in all those first five years combined. So like, it's, it's really a matter of creating a system around something that is so variable, which is labor. You know, before mm -hmm. we get too much into P for P pay for performance, which I don't think we've said it yet, but it's an alternative to paying hourly wages, not strictly an alternative, but it's an, it's a good alternative to that. I'd like to hear more about your growth. So you started out with a buddy from church, uh, thought about going to medical school, decided, no, I'm going to go back. 
I got an MBA at night school, decided I'm going to go back. Can you give us a little evolution of the con- of the company and and maybe by the end tell us where you are now, which is quite remarkable. But just kind of walk yeah. us through. Yeah, the first few years we grew we grew quite substantially at one that first location. Uh, first year that I was full time there with my uh, first employee, we did about two hundred thousand revenue. Then we went to four hundred eighty thousand revenue. Then we went to just shy of a million. So we grew quite substantially, but most of that growth was, in my opinion, what is the least profitable form of growth, and that is expansion of services and expansion of geographical uh, radius of what you're willing to serve. And that, in my opinion, that's one of the least efficient ways to uh, to grow a business, or most, least profitable ways to grow a business. And so over the past several years, that first location has paired back uh, a lot of their services to really just focus on our few core competencies. So we don't do putting greens anymore. We don't do tree chipping anymore. We don't have big dump trucks anymore. We really try to simplify things, uh, which has helped very well with the current labor market. But now that location, it just, we don't try to grow that location anymore. It's really just a matter of, we try to keep raising prices and keeping it around 1.6, 1.7 million with one general manager at the top and no other admin staff. Um, and then just all fuel workers. And uh, so that, that, that is about $300,000, $350,000 in distributions to myself after my salary. And then now we have franchises. So two and a half years ago, we started franchising Augusta Lawn Care. Uh, we have 87 locations around North America. And some of them are just getting started. They're brand new. They're by themselves out mowing in a truck right now. Uh, and then some of them are already seven-figure companies that switch over to Augusta just to kind of tap into a lot of the systems that we have. Your business changed a little bit uh, from uh, mowing uh, to managing franchises, I presume, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a different game for sure. Um, but I think a lot of the business principles are the same. Um, at the end of the day, what makes it a little bit hard or difficult with franchising is uh, my owners, the owners that buy as franchisees, not only are they my they you know they're, they're owners, they're entrepreneurs, but they're also my customers, right? So it's a little bit of a, a two way street there because they're they're owners, but yet they're partners, yet they're customers of mine. Right. And so that, that's a, sometimes a weird dynamic. But um, I'm a big believer in open book management at the local level where we share all our numbers and we do the same thing with our franchisees, give them all the information of kind of what's going on, where we're spending money, and just try to keep that line of communication open as much as possible. But it's, it's definitely a different ballgame, uh, setting up all the systems for a franchise versus, you know, a lawn care business. Right. Yeah, for sure. Tell me a little bit about the challenges that you face with your companies, the 87 locations. Um, I know probably a common one is the seasonality of landscaping. What, what happens in the downturn in the winter? Yeah, so we focus really on something we call winter services. So uh, for our recurring work, uh, which is like mowing, uh, bush trimming, things like that, typically people do stop mowing for three, four months out of the year. Uh, But our goal is to keep our mowing customers on at the same schedule, at the same price, but we switch to different what we call winter services. And so when we come to their property, we spend the same amount of time on their property, but we're simply, you know, we go through a whole list of different services and spend as much and you know, get as many things done as possible in the time that we would otherwise be mowing. And so this is our goal is to keep that recurring revenue throughout the winter months. And typically about 60 to 80% of our, our revenue from recurring work can be retained throughout that winter time. And so um, that's something that's really worked well with us where we make them opt out of that service instead of opting in. Hey, it's like when you sell, when we when you buy mowing, you're set up for year round. We're going to come during the winter unless you let us know otherwise and you can opt out. Uh, but that's really served us well and customers love it because uh, it keeps their property looking good throughout the winter months without needing a one time big cleanup in the spring uh, when that cost is going to be prohibitive for that, some of them. So you're yeah. trimming shrubs and uh, maybe planting. Do you do any planting? 
planting posies uh, yeah. or pansies or whatever it is that survive the cold weather and yeah, a lot, a lot of the locations will do planting. Um, we don't do a whole lot of that for winter services specifically. Winter services typically going to be things like, first thing is like pick up debris throughout the property, blow off the sidewalks, pull any weeds in the beds, uh, edge, the, edge the lawn, um, trim, any, trim any bushes off of the house, check the gutters to see if they're clogged. Like really just kind of a property inspection. Uh, and for most people that have you know, a high net worth, having someone come to their property for $50, $60 on a weekly basis throughout the winter months when they're gone, is actually really, really beneficial to them. Right. And so that has been uh, something that really has helped us and kind of take out the seasonality of landscaping. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant suggestion that that's something that all a, a lot of our contractors have to deal with is the seasonality and how to keep the good guys around, good guys and good gals, and yeah. uh, keep that recurring revenue coming. Mike, I wanted to ask about marketing for landscapers. What, what works, what doesn't, in your opinion? I think it really comes down to the size of the business and, and, and how much someone has in terms of budget for marketing, right? If someone is trying to spend less than, say, $5,000, it's a very different approach. You're going to go very, very localized, in my opinion, especially for something like mowing where we have a, we have a, a route we have multiple stops in a day. You've got to have quick, you know, very, you got to really put the brakes on your drive time, right? especially with gas prices the way they are, but more importantly, when it comes to labor and P for P, if people are driving 30, 40% of their day, you're just never going to make money. And so, especially if someone's small, they have under hundred mowing customers or even contractors that are just trying to get started and they have a small budget, I'd be focused very much on every door direct mail, next door, door hangers, very localized ways of targeting customers specific neighborhoods, like one, two, three neighborhoods, instead of trying to be like, oh, I'm going to like boil the ocean of all of Austin, Texas. Like right. there's millions of people, you'll never get brand penetration and the amount of money you'll have to spend to get any sort of awareness is extremely high. And so I would rather get my first 50, 100 customers for mowing, for example, or for a contractor, a larger contractor that's doing large projects, still focusing on like a one mile radius, several neighborhoods and spending more of my marketing dollars there where now I can get brand awareness because I can hit them more often. I can do uh, yards around their neighborhood. I can do door hangers on their on their doors. I can do every door direct mail into their mailbox. And literally for a matter of a few thousand dollars, they've seen me like five or six times different touches from different angles. And now I can really uh, get some brand awareness from what otherwise in small businesses, we just thrive on direct response marketing, which is fine. It's like, hey, here's a postcard, Here, call my number, You know, go to my website, fill out a form. That's direct response. Whereas if mm -hmm. I can get any sort of brand awareness, it's typically gonna come in the form of being in front of them time and time again. And then by the way, when you start marketing the same area, now your trucks, your vans are in that area all the time. They start to see you even more. So that's when you can start to get the effects of branding uh, without having to spend, you know, multiple millions of dollars trying to boil the ocean of a massive market. Yeah. But you would say marketing works whenever you do it this in this way, right? Uh, there's a lot of contractors I out there that really don't even spend the time or the energy on marketing. Yeah, I think it comes down to someone's preference if they're trying to grow their business. Like, I don't think there's any reason in this economy, if you're trying to stay stagnant in terms of size, that you need to market because there's such a massive demand for our services. But if you're trying to grow your business, uh, in, at the end of the day, I think it almost got a kick out of when people are in our space of contractors and small businesses, and uh, they know that they, can, they went and spent $100 on marketing, that they get a customer, their customer acquisition cost is $100, and they know that their lifetime value of that customer is, let's just say, $5,000, and they're running a 20% margin on their business. Well, that's $1,000 in profit. You just turned $100 into a thousand dollars of profit. That's a 10 X return on your investment. That's a thousand percent return. Well, go good luck trying to get that in real estate or the stock market or cryptocurrency right. or whatever. And so I feel like 
the best form of investing is taking a small business, getting a customer acquisition cost that you can nail down, know what those numbers are, and then invest into marketing. It's at the end of the day, they're going to be the thing that drives growth, not getting more trucks, more equipment, more tools. That will be, those are simply the ingredients required to perform the services that you sell. They're not the ingredient to growing the business. Marketing is, and if you can tap into that method, which is, I know my customer acquisition cost, I know my lifetime value, and if you know those things, that's the best return you'll ever get in any asset class. And so I think someone not spending money on marketing and they're trying to grow their business is a big mistake. Absolutely. I think it's great that you just brought that up. We um, had a little podcast short episode here the other day. And, and one of the points I make to my clients who are looking at real estate, crypto stocks, all that stuff is I say, Hey, how much money did you invest when you began your business? Uh, this is a little different because you're talking marketing. I'm just talking about return on investment. And we'll have a guy with a 10 or a $25 million company. So, well, if I think back 15 years, I actually, I said, real money out of your pocket that you paid in probably about $20,000. Now they reinvest in things like that. And I said, well, so what have you had as a return? And there isn't anything close to the return that you get on a, on a well-run small business. And that's at the equity even- level. You're talking about a uh, return on the marketing and, and you make a great point. And what you said there is exactly right. Like the equity part is the part we should be most interested in, not just the cash flow. I was talking about like return on profit. Right. But when you look at someone taking $20,000 and then creating a business that's, that's worth, say, 500000 guess what? That equity is not taxed. So if I go put that money in the stock market or crypto and I'm selling and trading all the rest of it, I'm going to be paying right. capital gains at least, right. if not my nominal tax rate, on that $500,000 in gains. Well, if I do build $500,000 of equity in my business, none of that is taxed because yeah. uh, that's not a taxable event. So that's when building your net worth becomes very important in my yeah. mind. And we're so, so many people get locked in on the cash flow, but the net worth part of a small business owner in America is the reason to get in the game. Well, so, I tell you, yeah. we... We contacted you. I contacted you because of pay for performance, which we're going to get to. But what we're getting here is the insights of a really insightful business owner who's done it. And one of the things I'd like our contractors to listen to is if you have 100 in a room, 95 of them never even really gave consideration to the equity of their business. And there are lots of reasons for that. I mean, they're busy working in rather than on and all kinds of things. Uh, They haven't replaced themselves, which you obviously have because you're not individually operating your 87 different franchise locations, probably not operating your original in where's your original in Bellevue, Washington, Bellingham, 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 right up against the border. Okay. Yeah. I've been to Bellingham. Uh, Beautiful up there. Lots of dairy, lots of green. Just don't come in the winter when it's raining. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, great, great insights. And, and I'd like people to pick up on the fact that your business does have value and you need to treat it that way and, mm-hmm. and start thinking that way. Because it is just an extraordinary return that when people sit down and put a pencil to it, there aren't enough zeros in the percent return. I'm talking about people who it is taxed, but make a half a million dollars a year on a $20,000 investment, plus the value of their business. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. It kind of takes the luster off of Bitcoin, right? <laughs> As an investment. So, hey, uh, yeah, you mentioned I, something I want to talk about real quick, too. Uh, it's a little disjointed to do it in this order, but you said it. You were concentrating on uh, not trying to serve everybody, local markets, local, uh, you know, mile or five miles within. But you also said, in just in passing, and raising prices. Okay. That's something I talk to every client about. 
what what are your thoughts on raising prices? Obviously, you just said it, so you do it. But what resistance do you get? Do you do it with confidence? That what are your thoughts on raising prices? Yeah, I think it's extremely important. I think the the part there's kind of two parts of raising prices. One is, do you raise prices on one-time projects, which is a lot easier because today I can raise my prices. Well, the customers don't need to be told because they're just going to get a new estimate. It's going to be a little bit higher, right? right? What becomes more challenging is when you have recurring services and you need to raise the prices and you actually need to tell the customer your price is going up. Uh, that's a little bit more different, and that's you know how you handle that, what timing you have to uh, time of year and when the seasonality of that. You don't want to tell someone in the middle of winter that you're raising their prices on a recurring service, uh, and they have two months to go find somebody else uh, before the growing season starts. So uh, things like that are important when it comes to raising prices, and I feel like we kind of have this golden opportunity, to, and it's been the past five, six months, and it's, it's going to continue throughout 2022 when customer consumers are are numb to price increases right. and so you got to do it now if you're like man i can just hold out and i'm gonna i'm gonna buy market share perhaps maybe a little bit but honestly buying market share right now isn't super important because there's such a demand for our services uh, you still want to be doing this profitably and you want to make sure you're set up to raise prices now uh, instead of if we have a downturn in their economy in 2023 or 2024 as we get past inflation and knock on wood this this war uh, if that all happens and we have a downturn in the economy you might be, have a little more resistance to raising prices at that time right. so i think it's a golden opportunity to kind of uh to raise prices now and it's extremely important but just last thing real quickly when you raise prices what generally happens do you lose a lot of customers we usually have about a 97 to 98% retention uh, yeah. if we're raising the price less than 25%, right? right. So kind of the, the rule of thumb we've all, we always talk about is like, you know, raise prices by 10% until you lose 20% of your customers. That's when you usually are around equilibrium. And so that's when you're maximizing profit. Now that doesn't necessarily mean you should do that if you're trying to grow, because that might, that's going to probably affect your close ratio uh, on estimates. And so uh, if you're trying to grow, you might, you know, you might uh, sacrifice that a little bit, but you should consistently be raising your prices, in my opinion. And uh, it, it really, if you do it correctly, the timing is right and the presentation to the customer is correct. And a lot of times, honestly, if you have start and go services, especially for us, like we start mowing in spring, for example, we would send an email telling the customer, hey, we're going to be starting your mowing service March 1st. Here's your prices for this year. We don't even go into explanation about like don't, don't why it went up. They're up. There's, here are the prices. That's brilliant. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just why bring yeah. it up? So anyway, it took us kind of backwards on that. But no, that's good. That's good. And I think well, uh, on, on continuing the story real quick. Sorry, Khalil, but um, we're up to the point where you're growing and stuff. How did how did you wind up franchising, and how did you wind up in two and a half years with eighty seven? I've looked at your map. They're all over the United States. You'll probably go to France here pretty soon, but that might be outside that <laughs> the five mile radius, but. How did you conceive of the idea and begin to pull it off? Yeah, there's a couple things. Like I knew, I knew from quite a while back that I wanted to franchise Augusta, uh, mostly due to the fact that um, so August fourth. August 4th, uh, 2016, I got in an accident underneath one of the dump trucks uh, when I was still somewhat in the business doing the estimator role, kind of sales side of things. And so I got, I got caught underneath the dump truck in the PTO uh, with Ooh. my hoodie. My hoodie got caught up in the in the in the PTO, Ooh. and then it all everything bunched up around my neck. And then, fortunately, I you know fell out and uh, it ripped. And I, I had the hospital and everything, but it took me out for a couple of weeks. And so I realized that you know 
the business needs systems, right? And at the, that time, we I had great people and they were able to keep the business running. Uh, but literally a month after I started landscapebusinesscourse.com to kind of document how to create systems to where if someone if something like that happened to someone, they would be able to uh, get the business would survive. And I liked that. Like, you know, Landscape Business Course was fun. I had the podcast. I started the videos and things like that. But the problem was as a consultant, my, my, I, what I was always so frustrated by is I didn't have any skin in the game. So if I said something like, hey, you should implement P for P or you should do your marketing this way, it was a suggestion. And if, you know, if they paid a lot, maybe they'll listen to me. But such a small percentage of the people watching the videos and listening were actually implementing what I believed in, which is things like P for P and open book management and profit sharing and, and just a whole bunch of different things. And um, and so I, I was very frustrated by that and I wanted to have skin in the game. So when the, I said something to them, they knew it was in my best interest that they do well. And so now with the franchisees, like if they don't do well, I, I'm not going to be able to sell any more franchises. We're going to fail. And so when I tell them something, they know it's in their best interest to do it uh, like I talked about. And so that is something that's I feel a lot better about as a quote unquote consultant or someone helping their businesses is I have the skin in the game and everything I tell you is in your best interest and you know it. And I, I can actually enforce it as a franchisor. Um, I don't know if, if this is really important, but do, do your franchise, if we have anybody who wants to be, do they approach you and say, Hey, I'm a landscaper in Norman, Oklahoma. And I want to be a, I, I, I like what I heard. Do they call you up and say, I want to be a franchise? Uh, and how does it work if they do that? Yeah, AugustaLongCareServices.com slash franchise. There's a whole bunch of information on there. About half of our franchisees that join have existing businesses. I mean, like I said, some of them are multiple seven figures by the time they come. And then others are just brand new getting started. And we have two different options. One is for someone with what we call a solo operator. And then one is called a growth model, which is going to have a territory and it's a much larger size. So, um, yeah, definitely if someone had questions, they can hop on there. But I would say, you know, watch all my videos first. Like there's lots of free content on there. Right. You don't have to join Augusta Lawn Care to be successful in lawn care. Uh, but my goal with the franchise is to take out you know, what would be otherwise five to six years of learning and hopefully condense that into two or three and just cut out that time gap of growing the business. Okay. That's excellent. So um, I had a question about pricing. Um, whenever you are pricing your services, what are the things that you're considering? Obviously, profitability is something that you're considering, but what is the, the value metric that you're basing off of? Is it square footage per lawn? Uh, how, do you, how do you get down into that for estimating with lawn, landscaping? Yeah, for us, because we use P4P, everything is based upon budgeted hours, right? And so even though we use square footage as a metric to measure, for example, a lawn, everything comes back to budgeted hours. So even though I am going to give a price to the customer based upon square footage, that price is tied to budgeted hours, which is tied to the rate that I'm trying to get for that service. So everything has to be tied to budgeted hours because that's the uh, building block to P4P. Um, and so when we look at pricing, it's a matter of really of if they're not hitting budget hours, means they're probably not you know, they're not priced high enough, right? Or their rate is too low. So, um, sorry, I don't want to get too much in the weeds on that one. But um, yeah, so in terms of pricing, we really look at budget hours. That's kind of the, the, the building block. And someone doesn't have to use budget hours uh, on P4P. Uh, they can just use, because uh, you give a percentage of the labor revenue to your employee. So theoretically, you could you just need a lump sum of how much labor revenue is dedicated to this specific job or the specific quote. Um, but Having budget hours makes it most accurate because there's going to be different services inside of your business that you have different rates for. For example, if someone's on an excavator, I'm going to be charging a higher rate than if they're on a mower, right? So I want to give them a percentage of labor revenue. Well, every single service inside that big project, for example, might have a different rate. So that's when budget hours gets gets uh, uh, very important. Gotcha. 
Yeah, we'll we'll jump into that here in a second. Um, I, I think about pricing, and you know, I, when whenever someone talks about a landscape or specifically just the service of a lawn, uh, some people think of it more of as a commodity. You're not just competing against other companies out there, but you're also competing against the homeowner themselves mowing their lawn. Um, what do you do to differentiate Augusta uh, in the market? Yeah, so like in tr- form of you know from a business angle. Our goal is, you know, to have command center on the back end that answers all the calls. We do all the back end support for the franchisees, so payroll, email, like we handle everything on the back end. Our goal is for them to be able to go focus on selling and focus on hiring. That's it. Um, so we can handle all the back end work for them at command center. So that's definitely an advantage. Uh, but then when when someone calls, like we we get ninety nine point nine percent of the phone calls uh, in, without going to voicemail, right? So that's a big advantage. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot it's of the, the elements of just having an office staff to back you up and then also the, the back end support is helpful. Right. I always say communications uh, is number one almost all the time in, in relating and keeping those customers. Especially when you're working have, directly with the homeowner or the business yeah. owner. Yeah. And, and and unfortunately, because, you know, in our industry contractors, most of us are answering the phone ourselves or whatever it might be. Two things are are not good. One for the business, it's not good because you become reactive the entire day. The phone rings, you stop what you're doing, you go, you know, go solve. Someone's complaining. Oh, you're constantly just firefighting all day long. You become a reactive instead of being able to be very uh, deliberate with your time, your schedule, what you're going to be working on, what's most important to the business. So we try to take off that as much as possible from command center. And then it's also from a second standpoint for the customer, it's a whole lot better to be able to talk to someone's in an office, sees their account when they call it, pulls up their account, um, and and you know do estimates over. Over the phone for mowing, for example. So if someone calls in, they can get a quote based on square footage that we're looking at from the command center within a matter of a minute, a couple minutes, we got their card on file. We set that job up for the for the franchisee and they don't have to deal with anything, right? So that is that is definitely something that a lot of customers nowadays are very comfortable with that. And we've only done that recently because our target market, the older baby boomers, et cetera, uh, they got very comfortable during 2020 and 2021 with things like Amazon Prime, Facebook, Instagram. They figured all this stuff out. They're okay with you looking at their house on Google Maps now. And so we really have allowed, been allowed to adopt technology at a much faster rate because of that. And yeah. uh, I think that's important. Yeah. Speaking of technology, I want to jump into software a little bit. Uh, what softwares are you using? Uh, what softwares do you recommend? And how has software really just changed your business uh, as a whole? Yeah, like I've always said, you know, the next uh, you know three to five years at Augusta, our differentiation will become software. And the mm-hmm. next 10 to 15 years, it'll become robotics. And so I'm pretty open and transparent about that. Um, but right now we are working on, we spend every single dollar and more of what we make at the franchise on software, um, building our we own internal own. systems, yeah. integrations, and we have to control it. Um, so that way down the road, when we have robotics, we, it all integrates, we, we control it all. So it's extremely expensive. Um, and we don't, I know that the average contractor doesn't have that ability to, they're gonna have to plug into more out of the box, uh, stuff from the service Titan or service autopilot, or a myriad of different, uh, CRMs. Um, but then, you know, we, we've created P4P software.com as well. Um, very expensive. It's not easy, uh, the investment, but we, you know, we won't make a dollar for the next five years at the franchise because we're pouring money to that. But I always look at some, a company like Amazon that did the same thing for 15, 20 years and lost money every single year until finally everyone woke up and they had 50% of the market share because they built infrastructure and they built software, right? So that's kind of how I look at it is like right now we're, we're investing into that and uh, to create that moat. Excellent. Excellent. What softwares do you recommend that are out of the box to other landscapers? 
honestly, if I was just getting started now, if I was small, I'd be probably working with something like Jobber, um, mm -hmm. something that is a little bit more simple um, yeah. and user-friendly. If you wanted to get a lot more complicated, I would actually be going with the, some of these larger companies that are publicly traded because I know that they're going to continually invest in their product and they have yeah. to keep growing. So exactly. I would be looking at Service Titan. I'd be looking at, like, over the past five years, consolidation in these these companies is tremendous if you look at the crms and yeah. i'm very worried by um crms that are being purchased right now by credit card processing companies because they're mm -hmm. they have ill intentions they don't have necessarily the right. contractors intentions at heart and yeah. so i'm very concerned by that trend and i'm looking more towards the companies like a service now that's public um even even elements of Salesforce. Um, there's yep. a lot of CRMs now that are publicly traded. They have a ton of money behind them and they're going to constantly be developing. And that's important. And uh, any Absolutely. company that is like owned by a small firm or is being bought up by a credit card processing or consolidated into like a, a, a tertiary subsidiary of a, a holding company is not going to succeed in the next five to 10 right. years. So yeah. that's why yeah, we have to really great books came out with a, uh, with a uh, scheduling one, one yep. of my clients brought in and I said, into it, QuickBooks. And I said, well, wait a minute here. Anyway, I had no idea, but that's just been in the last month I that that's come to my attention. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always say that too. If you're getting into software, you want to be, even if it's not even specific to your industry, you want to be on something that has a huge amount of investment behind it, a huge team that can support software costs so much like if people are so going to complain about us charging 80 90 an hour to mow lawns or trim bushes my goodness like to talk to a developer where you're looking at two three hundred dollars an hour because you're competing against apple and amazon and google are willing to pay them everything under the sun right so yeah. it's expensive very expensive very very so. expensive well let's dive into p4p martin i know you've got a lot of questions and i haven't read your book mike uh why don't you give me the the high level overview of why i should read p4p yeah, you I think you do um, that or, or Mike, no, Mike, Mike, <laughs> <laughs> come on, Martin. <laughs> no, I, I want to, I want to jump in on that real quickly. Uh, and then cool. Go ahead. Mike, you can modify what I'm saying, but, uh, first of all, that's what this was originally intended to be about. We got some great business, uh, knowledge, uh, and experience so far. And maybe we have to have you on again to develop this further. But P for P is pay for performance in there. And you make two statements that um, that I completely agree with. And they start out with hours have nothing to do or hours, money and time have no connection. OK, and that that's correct, even though people say time is money. But, you know, why are you paying a guy for an hour when what you really want is the lawnmower? Right. And the second one was longevity or, or has nothing to do with that, with, with money either. And I, I see that all the time. Well, we got to pay Walt, uh, got to give him a raise. He's got to make the most. He's been here 25 years. And the new guy that's making you tens of thousands of dollars more just started last month, you know, so that's kind of a founding principle. And I, I want to, before I turn it over to you is every single business client I've ever had, is interested in finding a way to do this, but they have no clue. And, uh, and so that's part of what, when you, when you buy the book, you lay out exactly how you did it and you lay out the formulas. I'm not sure it would work for every industry, but it certainly does for hourly industries. It shows you how to do it. And if I were to read the book and I'm a solopreneur out there with two guys working for me and I look at all that stuff, I go, Holy cow. I got to track this. I got to track that. I got to know the hours. I got to do this. I got to bid them right. I got to know a hourly bid rate so that I can, 
anyway, so uh, you said three things, pay for performance, open book management, and profit sharing. And so I want to hit all three of those. They're, they're connected. Uh, open book management is part of what makes P4P work. Uh, and you know Jack Stack? Great do, yep. business. Yeah. And what, whoever the other guy was who wrote actually open book management. I love it. And that the people who are responsible for your numbers, they're out, we're talking, they're out doing, they're responsible and they're being held to account because you got to make money and they don't know the rules of the game and they don't know the score. So I love that. But I'll ask you what you see as pushback. What I see as pushback a lot is I don't want the well, you talk about it in the book. I don't want the guys to know how much money I make. And if they see how what the sales are, they won't understand sales is not profit and they want more and they're going to get mad. So can you tell us a little bit about what pay for performance is and how you implement it? Yeah. So like, I think, you know, we've, we've gone 40 minutes without actually kind of defining what P for P is simply. Right. right? right. And so P for P really at the end of the day, summed up in one sentence is you give a percentage of the labor revenue that the employee earns every day for the business. That's what their wages are. That's in a summary, right? Literally that's all it is. And then everything behind that is a matter of all the little points that everyone's going to pop into their head. Like what if one person's really skilled and one person's not, what happens if they're doing maintenance on equipment and they're actually earning money? How does that work? What happens if they go really fast and make mistakes? All of that is the rest of the system, right? right? And that's the part. Those are all the things why people don't implement P for P is because they think of all those things and they're all very valid, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And so I think, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, the thing that I really go against, though, when it P4P becomes I'm pretty passionate about is it's not just a matter of a system for your business. It's better for the employee because, unfortunately, most hourly wage entry level workers always think in terms of dollars per hour. They can never break away from that mindset. And when they look for a job, that's the only thing they look for. And so when they when you can break that, like you mentioned, that ideology that time is money. And like if I spend X amount of hours, I make X amount of dollars. That's like the most flawed concept in economics. Because you never the customer does not pay for you to come to their house and make, you know, drive around your mower on their lawn. They pay for the result of their lawn being cut and they pay for the feeling that they might get because of the prestige or people seeing them, you know, whatever other intangibles. But that's what they're paying for. They're not paying for you to come to their house. And so time is never correlated with production. And so in my mind, it's just a massive fatal flaw, not only for businesses, but for the mindset of employees that constantly judge their performance and their paycheck based on dollars per hour. It has nothing to do with that. It's about how can you cut out waste? How can you be more efficient? If you figure those things out, you're going to be doing much better in your career. And so a lot of times when I talk about P for P, it's immediately met with, well, you know, you're just trying to rob for your employees and make more money. You're just like a greedy business owner. No, like the amount of money that a, a good solid employee can make on P4P is substantially higher because they're more efficient and the business can afford, therefore, to pay them more. And so at the end of the day, like I said, P4P is a percentage of labor revenue going to the employee every single day, not in the, end of the quarter, not, not like a quarterly profit sharing. This is P4P every single day based upon your performance, you're getting a percentage of that labor revenue. And then there's calculations to make sure that things like experience, non-revenue producing hours on, spent on maintaining equipment, all of those things are taken into account on, on inside the P4P system. So uh, one thing, I think you'll probably say it, but they either make a percentage of the labor revenue or a minimum base wage, whichever's higher, but you still have to pay more than minimum, minimum wage. But they, there's a range there. How do you... 
and then I would like you, all those things that you just listed off that people are thinking, oh, well, how do you do this? How do you do that? What, you know, if we can actually talk a little bit about how do you do that? One thing that comes to me is if you send out a crew of two people, I don't know if that's real common. One of them is really good and the other guy is a bonehead. Do they both get paid the same? Well, yeah, because two they things. get so it first, done in a certain. Well, how how do you calculate PPP? Um, maybe we don't have to get into spreadsheet level, but hey, I thought this was going to take two hours. It took one hour, so I'm going to split. Would you kind of talk about how that works? Yeah, so let's just say it's a two-hour job. Um, we're charging the customer eighty dollars per man hour, so we're charging a total of one hundred sixty dollars in labor on that job. Again, if there's materials or anything else like they're charging, they don't get a piece of that. They only get a piece of the revenue or labor revenue. So $160 in labor revenue. Uh, let's say there's two people there and they get done in one hour. All right. So let's assume that we're giving 33% of labor revenue to the employees. That would mean then that they're getting about $53 uh, in total wages going to the employees. They're going to split that in half because there's two people. So they're both going to make about $26 on that job in that amount of time. Right. Right. So, um, you know, it's up to them to figure out how fast they can get that job done. I might have done the math there wrong. I don't know. I just did it in my head. <laughs> but it's a matter of, yes, you're right. You're, they're going to, a percentage of the labor revenue is going to go to the employee. And then that's going to be split between two people if they're on, right. on a crew together. Now, your point is, is very valid. And there's several things that are, um, are calculated here. First and foremost is the fact that in the past, you wouldn't have heard about this boneheaded employee for three more months and they would have been sapping the clock until then. Now you're going to hear on the very first day because no A player wants to work with a C player and they're going to rat them out very quickly. So no one sticks around working on their, you know, staying on their phone or taking naps in the truck because in the past, the other employees like, you know what, forget them. I'm just going to work, right? Because they didn't have any impact on their pay. Well, now it does. So you don't need to micromanage anymore because they're all managing each other. Whoever they're working with, they better be pulling their weight or else it's affecting their paycheck. Right. So that's the first part from a cultural standpoint. Secondarily, when you actually do have skilled discrepancies, two things can happen inside P4P. One, if they're actually being trained, like you have a brand new employee, we're going to have a trainer bonus. So you're going to get a dollar per hour bonus on top of your P4P. So if my, if my employee makes $19 per hour on P4P, but he was training somebody else, he's going to have $4 per hour bonus. So you'd be making $23 an hour that day, right? For example. Um, and, uh, then the second part is if they have different skill levels and you're working on a big project, you can have what we call project management bonuses. Cause there's going to be someone on a large, you know, 200 hour wall installation. There's going to be probably someone with the most skill operating the equipment, talking to the customer, uh, setting the job up for success, doing the walkthrough, all of that, that person's going to get a dollar per budgeted hour as a bonus at the end of the job. So if there's 200 budgeted hours at our company, we do a dollar and 50 cents per budgeted hour. And so that means that there's $300 worth of project management bonus on the table at the end of the job. And that's allocated to the person or persons that, did the most kind of management of the project, who ordered the materials, who talked to the customer, did the walkthrough, uh, had a site plan, all of that, that's going to go to that person. And that's how you can pay someone substantially more if they do have more skills. Sounds to me like uh, estimating and budgeting is really important. Very. And, and at the end of the day, if you're not accurate on budget hours, it's going to be a big problem. And so uh, at the end of the day, you have to realize you know, the employees have to realize that you're human. You're going to make errors sometime. But our goal is to make like four out of five estimates be where they can beat budget hours. One out of five, there's going to be bad weather. Someone's not going to have a good day. Customers are going to be making a big problem for them. And they're going to, they're going to miss out, you know, miss budget hours, which typically means they're not making a lot of money. Uh, but four out of five, our goal is that's kind of where we want to be at to make sure that we are, you know, price competitive, but then also being accurate enough for them to make 
uh, P for P. You have some examples in your book, just kind of uh, put a, put a fine point on it that like, I think it's guys might make $15. That's their, their base pay, their fallback. In other words, you're not going to make less than 15. What just throw out an average, what, when you got a crew that's out there and they get it and they've been doing this for a while and they understand it and they want to do well, what are they going to make? 25, 26, 50, 30, you know, I mean, what, what kind of difference does it make to them? Totally. So we typically see across the board about 20 to 30% increase in efficiency okay. once someone has implemented P4P. That's pretty much across the board uh, between that range. We've seen it as high as 45% increase in efficiency, uh, but that's typically very poorly ran businesses prior to P4P. And it's a big shift, but at least 20, 30% efficiency increase. So if you have a hundred thousand a month in wages going out, like that's a huge, huge difference. Um, let alone when it's talking about annually. And so, uh, you know, 20, 30% increase in efficiency is what we kind of see across the board. And what's the effect on the profitability of the company? You're giving away 30%, yeah. but, but you're, you do so many more jobs. Well, this is, this is the beautiful thing about when it comes to someone who really likes numbers, if they, if they're doing, you know, cost analysis on jobs and things, it's like, look, when you go to an estimate, you already know the fixed cost of materials, maybe you charge for estimate fees or dump fees, you know, all those numbers, there's one variable cost that will kill or make the profit on that job. And that's labor, the variable cost of labor. Well, now with P for P, I already know before the job starts exactly what my profit margin is because I'm basing it on budget hours and they're going to get a percentage of the labor revenue. And so, um, I know before the job starts what my profitability is and the, the employees are happy because they're making more money too, right? right? This is a matter of them going from, you know, just several years ago before we had P for P the average in our company was like 17, $18 per hour. Now the average is $24 an hour. They have benefits. They have paid time off. Like that all happened because we sucked waste out of the system. Right. Right. Everyone's like, well, where's this money coming from? You can't just pay everyone more and the business make more money. Actually, you can by sucking out the 40, 50% of waste that's in their day of them sitting around talking for 20 minutes in the morning on their coffee, like stopping at five different uh, gas stations, taking breaks throughout the day, taking 48 smoke breaks and three times on their phone. Like all of that is, is where companies lose money in this industry. And right. so that's the variable cost. And if you can make that a fixed cost by taking, hey, a percentage of all the revenue, labor revenue is going to employees as, as, as wages. I know before a job starts what my profitability is. And it's very, very powerful from a projection standpoint. Right. So um, bidding is real important. We can just talk, but basically it takes people who understand it. Uh, you've got, you've got to bid right on this calculating. You do this. I think I read in your book, you do this every day or somebody does that you calculate for every employee this is what you make as a base. This is what you would, am I correct? You do that every day that, uh, based on what you did today, this is your profit, uh, pay for performance pay. Is that exactly. correct? You do that every day. Track yeah, our, that? We, we really believe that like getting the, uh, the compensation as close to the performance as possible is important. A lot of people have hybrid versions of P for P, which is like, Hey, we're going to have $5,000 in this pool at the end of the year. If there's not any damages, whatever's left over, we'll get split or, you know, a quarterly something based upon performance for most frontline employees. If you're not giving them on every single paycheck, and if you're not giving them daily reports of what that performance is right. looking like, they lose track of it. Right? right. And not even lose track of it. They don't care about it because it seems so far off. They're thinking about the paycheck this week. They're thinking about putting food on the table this week. And so you've got to get the 
the compensation as close to the performance as possible. So for us, the next day, they're getting an email with a report from the day prior that shows exactly what they made on base wow. pay and then what they made on performance uh, P for P. Right, so they so can they're see not, they're not getting the check. You, you're, uh, they're getting wow. They get an email every day on what they made yesterday. Correct, and a breakdown if there's things like deductions, so what we call right. yellow slips or callbacks. There's deductions for that or damage cases. They see all of those notes there, and they can see a breakdown of what they made yesterday. And again, the reason you want that compensation or at least oh, the 100%. feedback of compensation as close to the performance as possible, because then they can correct. Because what they'll do in their mind is like, oh man, yesterday I made $300 and on base pay I only made $200. Like that's $100 in performance dollars. As long as I keep this up, I'm going to make X. Like they start doing that math because you have that feedback loop as close to the performance as possible. So who actually keeps that at a franchise location? Do you have somebody in the office who's who's doing that? Yeah, we just use p4psoftware.com. Um, okay. And at Command Center, we do run P4P for the franchisees, uh, but some of them do it themselves. Anyone can get P4Psoftware.com. So, um, yeah, it just literally, our goal is to take it where it takes between 30 and 60 seconds per day per employee to make the calculations. There you go. And at the end of the pay period, the software does all the calculation of making sure overtime is included, making sure that all the deductions and additions are included for project management bonuses and, and trainer bonuses, all the other stuff. As long as you spend that 30, 60 seconds per employee per day, at the end of the pay period, it's going to tell you exactly what to pay that person. And it's going to send the reports out on a daily basis and keep track of it over time. Like the employees, to be able to see their efficiency over time go up, to be able to see over time how much they're making per hour based upon P4P, like that's really what helps an employee. So on the mobile app, when they clock in every single day, they see that. Um, and that's very impactful for them. So do you make that available to just any listener who wants to go look at it? At, okay. Would yep, you say that? P4Psoftware.com. P4Psoftware.com. Yep. And that eliminates one of the main impediments, you know, one of the qualifying things. What if, what if, what if, what if, how about this? And that keeps mm -hmm. people from trying to take and go take a look at it. That's, that's brilliant. Um, yeah. Mike, and, and if anyone wants to do it on their own, like in Excel and things, they're more than welcome. Like don't buy my software only. If you're good at Excel, you might be able to figure out elements of it. You won't be able to figure out some of like the reports and things, but like all the training for P4P, if someone's interested in just like learning more about it, it's free. So p4psoftware.com slash training, all the videos are on there. It's like a couple hours worth of training right. going on each scenario. And, and that's completely free. I want people to do it. And Hey, if it's the software, we believe it makes it faster and easier, but Hey, like I just want people to learn how to do it. Mike, where are you seeing other people use P4P software or even just the, the model uh, outside of landscaping? And also, what are your ambitions for P4P outside of landscaping in Augusta for yourself? Absolutely. So, you know, obviously my sphere of influence online is mostly around lawn care and landscaping. Um, however, a good chunk of our, our users at p4psoftware.com come from a variety of different industries, pool cleaning, janitorial, uh, construction. Uh, typically, the, the, the delineation of whether or not you can use P4P for construction is if you have a bunch of subcontractors on your site and you're a general contractor that gets a little more difficult to do p4p on um and you have a, a lot of moving parts it's right. harder to give a budget hours per service right but any sort of like deck builder pool company you know roofing company anything that uses labor revenue as something that you estimate on the quote is absolutely able to use this and my goal with all of it obviously augusta lawn care we're trying to do something with that but with p4p it's the building block to Augusta and, and I feel like anyone can use it. And my goal in P4P is that in five to 10 years, when an employee walks in the door, they ask a question to an interview. And that is, do you pay P4P 
or do you pay hourly? Because anyone who asks that question and wants P for P is going to be the best talent because they know that the harder they work, the more money they'll make. And I want it to be where you have to do P for P because if you don't, all the, comp all the competition that does P for P is going to suck the talent that's good towards them. And you're going to be left with everyone who doesn't want P for P, which is the people who slack off, take it easy all day long, all the rest of it. And so uh, I, my goal is in the next five to 10 years where it's a requirement for a contractor to have to implement P for P because if they don't, they won't get any talent. I love that. That's great. That's a, a really good, clear vision too. Uh, I think for a lot of people, visions are a lot of different statements, whatever, but yours is very tangible where you can say, Hey, I want P for P to be mentioned in the job interview for people. And I want it to be the standard. So that's really cool. Well, uh, I, for the employee, sorry, one second for the employee, the P for P, like if you're a great employee, the worst thing in the world, if you're an A grade talent is to work with a C talent, like the most demotivating, uh, I know just disappointing. You get frustrated if you're great. And so if you're running on P for P and you know, everyone else is operating in terms of efficiency, it's the best place to work. Right. And so I think the most demotivating thing for a great person is to work with a bunch of hourly employees that do not care on their phone. They're trying to sap the clock. That's the worst, not like forget money. It's just demotivating. And yeah. so I think, you know, my goal, if I can ever get an employee to think outside of out dollars per hour, that's the ultimate goal that's when people will actually change their life because they start thinking in terms of lean. You start thinking in terms of cutting out waste. And that is extremely profitable and uh, very valuable in any industry in their career as they move forward outside of entry level positions. Yeah. And it, it, that ties completely back to the beginning of you graduating uh, college at fifth or high school at 15 and uh, going get your degree in college when you were 13. And uh, you, you were tired of the waste. You were tired of the spending, you know, I, I see high school students all the time that are, you know, taking one serious class every year and the rest of the time they're just scooping around. So, uh, really cool to see how that comes full circle. Uh, man, Mike, how do people get in touch with you? We know p4psoftware.com. Uh, what's, we can go to Augusta, what's the Augusta website? AugustaLongCareServices.com. It's on there. And then if someone's into the franchise, there's a button and things. Um, but yeah, just, just, you know, YouTube, I'd say go there. Um, you don't need to buy anything from me. Just watch my videos. I just try to put out as much as I can. Every single day we post a video about business in general. It's not just lawn care and landscaping. Only about 20% of my videos are just lawn care and landscaping. So lots of really just good business topics. Um, and Great. I don't pitch anything on there. It's just, I just try to help with other That's contractors. Good. So Mike Andy's on YouTube is, is where you'll find me. All right. Awesome. Well, hey, appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for joining us for the Cashflow Contractor. And yeah, maybe we'll have you again sometime. Cool. Thanks, Khalil. Thanks, Martin. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, thanks, Mike. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.